Hello, and welcome to episode 7 of the PhD cast by the CBIS GPA. I'm Micah, and today I'm joined by Megan, Nate, Anna, and returning host Ahmad, who has just finished defending his thesis. And we're also joined by a very special guest, Colleen Smith, the Dean of Graduate Student Experience here at RPI. Colleen, could you explain what that role means and what it might look like at other universities? Yeah, sure. Hi, welcome, and thank you for inviting me. Um, so like Micah said, my name is Colleen Smith, Dean of the Graduate Student Experience. So Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute has a pretty unique model, um, and it's uh, based off of a undergraduate class dean model where each cohort has their own student life related dean. And actually the president of Rensselaer, um, you know, and others said, you know, we need something similar for our graduate students. And so I'm in student life and my role is to really provide advocacy and support for the graduate student community. That can be anything from meeting with a graduate student who's struggling you know, uh, whether or not they want to be in grad school. Maybe they have issues with a faculty member or an advisor. Maybe there's mental health issues. And, you know, it, sometimes it can be a referral. Then the other part of my job really means uh, supporting grads professionally and personally. So prof professionally, um, we have a, a annual graduate research symposium where graduate students present research to one another. Um, we, I work closely with um, different graduate student groups, partner with the graduate count, student council, and, and really just provide support with what graduate students need. Okay, so I'm gonna start us off with a more general question. What is like the most common thing people come to you to talk about? Like, what is the most common issue or situation that, that grad students usually have? Yeah, I would say more often than not, it's, it's because they, they might be struggling. Uh, similar to what I was referencing earlier in terms of mental health issues, um, you know, thinking about leaving, wondering if this is the right program, mm -hmm. um, misunderstanding miscommunication with advisor, mm -hmm. not understanding expectations. And then typically, you know, if they come to me first for that, they might come to me for something else. Like, uh, you know, I want to, you know, start a group or I'm concerned about my friend. Mm -hmm. And I would say most of the time the graduate students find me on their own or they are referred to me by their department, um, their department administration or the graduate program director. Um, I would say at other institutions, this role can be filled by someone within the graduate program itself, perhaps a student services member, or can be part of the graduate school itself. It could also be part of student life generally. It really depends on the type of institution. Um, I 
you know, when I meet with a student, it's really about, you know, everything and why they came to grad school. What do they want to do after grad school? How can I help them connect to others on campus? What resources do they not know about? So I feel like I'm mostly just like referring people to resources, if that makes sense. So I have a, a general question about kind of on that same note that Megan brought up is I feel like because this position is pretty niche, depending on the institute or the university, it can be within a department or without a department. Um, I'm curious specifically for you, what has been like one of the hardest things about your job? Because I can kind of see where it would be hard to draw a line at what point it becomes someone else's job versus your job, or if there's been any particular like anecdotes you have where you've had to intervene in situations. I'm really curious about uh, to hear about that, those type of types of experiences in your position. Yeah, that's a great question. I would say the relationship between a faculty member and advisor and a graduate student advisee can become very complicated um, for many reasons. And sometimes graduate students feel like they can't go anywhere and they can't address the issue because of power dynamics or they feel like their uh, position, their funding is in jeopardy if they bring up something. Um, they might actually be facing some serious problems where maybe they're being mistreated, bullied, and they don't want to do anything for fear of retaliation, fear of the future. And I often feel powerless because I respect the graduate student's decision to, you know, decide whether or not they want to pursue action or do nothing. And, and, it's, and it's upsetting sometimes because I want to best support the graduate student, but sometimes it's difficult to really address the situation. Um, so, I mean, a lot of times we try to find uh, solutions or uh, um, how can we best support the graduate student in those situations. So maybe it's about, you know, utilizing the committee that the graduate student has or building a relationship with another faculty member um, it, I, again, it depends on the institution itself, but, you know, there are, there's a fear, there's a fear of, of graduate students wanting to address, uh, issues that they might be facing with their advisor. And I don't think it's necessarily easy to switch advisors. Um, it depends on the department, depends how far along you are. And I, I would say that's the most challenging is, you know, if the institute or the university um, accepted you into a program, you should be able to work with faculty. And I think sometimes, you know, if it doesn't work out with someone, you know, faculty-wise, the graduate student just feels lost. Um, you know, and then I would say, you know, that's specific, but I mean, I'm really concerned about graduate student mental health. Um, it is a crisis. I mean, it, it, if you look at any of the 
the literature, if you look at any studies that have been done, graduate students are more depressed and more anxious than the general public. And so what are we doing about it? And, and so, you know, I do work closely with our counseling services, and I think, you know, similarly at other institutions and universities, you know, graduate students should take advantage of the counseling services that are available to them. They should definitely, uh, they should pursue counseling. They should challenge the university to make sure there's enough counseling staff available to graduate students, that counseling is aware of graduate student issues uh, because it, it's it's key. It's key for graduate students to know that they have that that resource. Let me know if I missed anything or need to fill in anything. Did that answer it, Anna? Mm, yeah, no, that was good. That was very good. I guess that kind of another topic I feel like we should discuss, even though this is kind of more like a theoretical thing, is like you're talking about these issues with graduate students and their advisors and somehow uh, so much of American academia is lacking infrastructure to regulate that relationship um, to more of like a boss-employee relationship as opposed to whatever we define as an advisor-graduate student relationship, which I feel like is pigeonholed in its own thing. But um, like what are some... I feel like you probably your position would be the best position to ask about this, but what are some infrastructure changes that would be, obviously we could go on about this for like ages, but something that's attainable um, and that would be a good first step towards implementing some kind of regulation around those uh, difficult relationships? Yeah, no, this is a great question. And I would say that funding agencies play a vital role in this. And, and not just funding in, um, agencies, but also, you know, the faculty themselves. So if faculty, uh, let's say the, the faculty senate or whatever representing body the faculty represents, they, they can play a role in improving relationships between faculty and students. There are mentoring agreements. There are expectation documents that other universities have created. There are, um, you know, funding agencies. Actually, if, if you're being funded by uh, a, a grant, you know, f especially if it's a, a federal funded grant that your PI or faculty advisor received, look into that, to that grant itself. What are the policies? What are the expectations for you as a mentee. Um, I have actually, you know, talked with graduate students about maybe you should contact the office and just ask questions, you know, the office that is, um, you know, distributing the fund, whether that's NIH, NSF. Uh, but I would say there is a movement happening and it's starting with graduate students advocating for other graduate students. There is an organization, and I, um, I don't have it memorized right now, but I can find it. But they are actually trying to find policy and trying to find um, common ground for, for institutions and universities to be able to implement some infrastructure. Um, graduate students are graduate, uh, students first and foremost. Um, 
they're not necessarily employed by the faculty member themselves. I think that is confusing for a lot of people. Um, again, it depends on how the funding works at each university. But even if a, a faculty member receives a grant, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's at all their discretion. It's usually connected somehow to the university itself, which is complicated in many ways because when I hear graduate students tell me that they are in jeopardy of being fired, I, I ask them to take a step back and say, fired from what? Being a student? Um, but I know that that's, you know, that the issue that I see is, and I don't blame faculty because we don't train faculty how to be good mentors. So that's another part of it is how can we, you know, implement training around mentoring, really about being a manager. Um, and some institutions and universities do this well. Some still have a lot of, a, a long way to go. Um, even within a university itself, you might find models. And I would encourage graduate students sharing those models with their peers, making sure that they're aware that, you know, there are really healthy mentoring, advising relationships out there between a graduate student and their faculty advisee. So you're basically saying that all of this kind of starts from the top and it's something that needs going to need to change from changing things at all levels, basically. Yeah, I think it has to come from the top and I'm not even going to say bottom because I don't see graduate students at the bottom, but <laughs> there is power in a group of graduate students coming together and challenging their department faculty than one solo graduate student. And so when a, a group comes together, for example, the Graduate Student Council, when I first started at Rensselaer, it was uh, fall 2015, the graduate students had not received a stipend increase in three years. And so the Graduate Council themselves advocated for themselves, wrote letters to faculty members, they, they put in a request that we want a $3,000 increase. And they were skeptical that, that the administration would even respond to that amount. And then they were granted that amount. And they also were um, advocating for uh, at least, I want to say like a $500 increase each year um, when, the, when the institution is financially capable, I should say. Um, and I think that's, that's happened. The stipend itself has increased. You know, if it, more likely than not, graduate students know what faculty members cause the most stress to graduate students. And, and so how do you, I, I think this is part of advocating for yourself is how do you gather with your peers to present the issues whether that is to the graduate program director, the department head, um, every, every graduate program is part of a department that is part of a school that has a dean. And the graduate students really have a voice. I mean, I would say 
graduate students at, at universities that are not unionized can really learn a lot from graduate students at universities that are unionized. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing. I mean, some, I remember when I first started because I was at a, a public institution and I actually was a, a graduate student there and we were unionized and some of the issues that graduate students came to me about, I was like, that would never have happened at the state university that I was part of, like, because they have very clear, uh, very clear uh, standards and steps and bargaining and, and negotiating. And, and I would say the closest that it co that comes to at an institution or university that doesn't have a union is really the, the handbook. What does, is there a graduate student handbook are there graduate student policies and regulations at the university level? But then what does it look like within the graduate program's handbook itself? If you don't know as a graduate student, if your graduate program has a handbook, you need to search that, do a Google search and see if you can find it. Um, I know that's something that comes up too when a graduate student meets with me and, and Typically, a PhD student who, um, you know, is very is either at their candidacy exam, qualifying exam, or you know, ready to finish. And you know, the faculty member is saying, "Oh no, no, no! You need one more paper. You need a paper in a top journal." And I ask, "Does it say that in the handbook?" And it doesn't. So I think that's something that you know, especially PhD students really need to consider is the difference between what the faculty expectations are versus what actually you need to achieve um, as, as a PhD candidate. Uh, because that is something that happens. Um, you know, you have to have a top, uh, you have to be, have your paper be accepted in a top journal. Uh, and that's not always the reality. Um, you know, to go on to that, which is sort of a change in subject, um, one of the things that concerns me is when faculty have the exact same expectations for all of their graduate students. Um, everyone's different. They come from different backgrounds. Not everyone had a research lab in their undergraduate years. You know, not everyone is going to, you know, produce like research nonstop, it, it, or there's a new field um, or a new research area that there's not much to really compare it to. And so it's, it's hard when, and I don't know if faculty are doing it intentionally, but I do wish that they wouldn't compare graduate students to one another. Uh, I, I find that to be pretty toxic. Colleen, you spoke earlier about, um, I, I guess, sort of the the view of uh, graduate students as either employees or students, and then also a little bit about, um, you know, who their employer actually is. Is it the school? Is it their, you know, department? Or is it their advisor? And I think that is a little confusing for a lot of grad students because a lot of times we feel like, you know, our advisor is the person giving us money. They're the one calling the shots. 
you know, I feel like they're my boss. And I think I kind of went through this sort of crisis personally when I went through an advisor change, trying to figure out, you know, who's actually calling the shots here? Should I be listening to the department? Should I be listening to my advisor? And um, I just got a lot of confusing signals, I think, when that whole process was going on. So I was wondering if I could get your your opinion about that. Yeah, no, and I think it is confusing for graduate students to understand where their funding comes from. Um, I would say more often than not, the faculty member alone is not your employer. That person might provide guidance, mentorship, uh, maybe even, you know, direct research within that lab or area. But that solo person it is not your boss. Now, every institution d describes this maybe a little differently. At this particular institution, funding can come from many, many sources. So it can be, um, you know, research assistantships that are coming from a, a research grant or funding agency. Uh, it could also be um, funding that the department itself has for research assistantships. It could also be, um, you know, funding for teaching assistantships. There is um, the Office of, of Graduate Education. So our, you know, graduate school, quote unquote, also has a, I'm going to say bucket of funding that they divvy up to the, the different schools for, for teaching assistantships. Regardless of all of that, one of the issues and the reason why you're, you had such a crisis is because you don't have a contract. You didn't sign anything. And I, I think that's something that needs to happen and definitely happens at state universities and probably some private institutions too. I would like to see that here um, because a lot of times no one knows what their responsibilities are, right? And PI faculty member creates their own policies and their own, um, you know, ideals, right? So vacation policies, for example, that's not a thing. <laughs> like, you know, you have a set amount of hours that you are legally allowed to work. I would say your actual employer is the institute because you signed employment paperwork like an I-9 and went through all of the documentation to receive funding from the institute itself. Now, it does become tricky because graduate students are in this you know, this world of, am I a student? Am I a staff member? Am I an employee? Um, and I think, you know, to be honest, and the fact that there was confusion means that we need to do more to correct that confusion. Uh, whether that is, you know, signing something that says, this is what I'm, my job, my role is, my responsibilities are. Um, 
and the faculty member needs to be made aware of that as well. I'm not sure if sometimes faculty, and I, I'm not going against faculty here. I, I think that they don't have all the information either. I don't know if they realize how many hours a graduate student should work each week. Um, and so I, I, my biggest, the biggest thing, takeaway there is your, your advisor is not your employee. But if that's the environment that has been created and what has been normalized and socialized, then you don't know anything other than that, which makes it hard for you to find a new advisor. And the department itself, depending on the department's, you know, uh, belief, you know, whoever is running the department might say, each faculty member runs their own labs. I'm gonna respect what those faculty members have to say. But then I would say, you can actually take that to another level. Um, and I think that's part of the self-advocacy that a lot of graduate students don't know about. Um, you know, find, find who in the institution, whether they're in human resources, whether they're in student life, maybe they're in um, each department, there's ombudsmen's, um, which is a, term that I, not a lot of people realize. It's a confidential source that helps advocate for you. Um, you know, there's people you can talk to when there's problems. It's just getting to those right people, which makes it hard. And so I didn't really fully answer your question, but, you know, I, I would say if you can f find someone like me, <laughs> they exist. They exist on universities. You know, a, a place where I think, you know, other graduate students might find some connection is actually in their career center or their professional development, career resources. Because a lot of times they are trained as, as, student, as student life professionals or have familiarity with PhD programs. I know several um, career advisors at research universities who have PhDs. So they're familiar with the system and they might be more familiar with the system at, at your particular university. So find that person. Um, they can bring it to their supervisor who can bring it to their supervisor. Uh, the one thing I don't want graduates to do is to to suffer in silence, you know, to suffer in a way that they think that they're the only ones that are being treated a certain way, that they are, um, they're supposed to perform something that, that doesn't really f feel right. You know, to have a graduate student, uh, you know, be, be called at all hours of the night is not okay. You know, so, so it's some of that is like, what behaviors out there are not okay? You know, the, the, other, the other place I would say where graduate students should go um, is really, I, I mean, it sounds silly, but I mean, it's not. Twitter has a very active graduate student support community. There are faculty members on there that you can connect with who are very um, supportive. You know, there are mentors out there um, reading articles through Inside Higher Ed or Chronicle of, of Higher Education, you can reach out to those, those individuals. 
um, ask for help, you know, especially if, if you're um, depressed and that depression is coming from the relationship you have with your faculty advisor. So Colleen, uh, I want to go off of something that you mentioned about vacation days and everything. And I think this is me kind of uh, uh, advocating for New York for releasing that the student workers are workers and realizing that they have vacation days. And so I think beyond the institutions, what can students do to like more understand their rights that are guaranteed to them by the state, like by the, by the government? It's not necessarily just the institution that would govern these laws. How can students understand these uh, or like even see, seek out these opportunities and these, uh, not opportunities, uh, seek out these uh rules and regulations and understand how they apply to them as quote-unquote em employees by the institution? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And, and, and honestly, um, I mean, so we're within New York State and the governor of New York State recently passed a, a sick leave days for, um, I believe it was, I forget the role or what type of employees. Like what it was defined for. Yeah, but graduate students are part of that. And so, you know, there is a procedure in place that I think helps graduate students understand that better. I would say that there is a disconnect maybe from private institutions to their state, not all, because again, I'm like, how, how do you, I mean, unless you seek it out yourself, um, it's not, it, 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 at least to my knowledge, it's not part of, you know, your orientation or your onboarding. Um, you know, there might be some clauses somewhere within a website that talks about, you know, being employed with New York State, but I'm not answering this correctly because I, I, again, I don't know, like it's an avenue that I think needs to be further explored. And that's like, again, a public institution or public university, everything is transparent. And so there's, it does make you question, you know, why is it not the same at a private institution? And I don't know if I have the expertise to really answer that, but, but I would say vacation days, um, I don't know if that's just a, a, a you know, science engineering. I know it happens in other fields and maybe it's connected to, you know, that's a lot of where the funding agencies support, you know, I don't know, but Legally, you know, there's an amount of hours that you are supposed to work or you should not work beyond that. Um, even our international graduate students really need to stick within that. Like it's against the law. And I don't, I don't know how to best support international graduate students or graduate students generally to draw this out from, you know, as a problem and less, because again, I'm just, I'm going all over the place with this one, but if the department or graduate program normalizes behaviors like 
vacation policies or working 40 plus hours per week or, um, you know, talking to certain people and going in a certain order if you have a grievance. All of that is what's socialized into that, that culture. And so unless there are, you know, national, international um, standards when it comes to, you know, PhDs um, or graduate students in general that work on campuses. I mean, every campus is different. You know, at Rensselaer, you're, as a PhD student, you're fully funded or not at all. Other institutions might not guarantee funding at all or partial. And so there's different kind of responsibilities depending on, you know, how the, the university funds you or not. Sorry, I don't think that was really clear, but I, I think it's an area to explore. Um, there was a public institution, I don't know if I uh, should mention the name, that has fired over 80 graduate TAs, teaching assistants, uh, who went on strikes because they requested uh, additional pay given the increase in uh, living standards in that area. Uh, because it just did not correlate at all with the living standards in that area. And so I, I'm not sure if that student or if that student group was unionized or any, if those grad students were unionized, but I do know that the their contracts were terminated because they went on strike. And so how... I, I, advocating for like students advocating for themselves could be one thing and them unionizing is certainly helpful. But what if it's an uh, institution, like how could they, I don't want to say fight back, or how, how could they respond to something like uh, terminating contracts with uh, funding, uh, well, for funding those graduate students and their graduate studies? Yeah, and that it, I'd have to look back to see what exactly the institution or system, I think it was a public institution that's part of a larger system, what the rationale was for ending their contracts and what the administration said, which might or may not have something to do with the negotiations and the bargaining that was created between the institution and the student group if they were unionized. I'm not saying that that's okay. Um, it, it's, it's a real fear that, you know, definitely understandable why, you know, that would, you see that happen at a place where you think the graduate students are protected to think, okay, what about me at this place? Um, Oh, I mean, so that gets tricky, right? So I would say, do we know if they um, fought back with legal action? Because that would be, and then that's interesting because if it is a state institution, you know, would they, um, you know, 
I mean, I think, again, if there was enough rationale for the graduate student group who was term had their contracts terminated, if they were treated unfairly or were discriminated against, then they need to, they should seek out the resources, you know, that are there to help them, whether that's the Office of Civil Rights, Department of Civil Rights, um, whether the state has, um, you know, a similar, uh, you know, organization support. I, I, yeah, I, you know, there, there definitely have been controversial cases where graduate students, you know, have gone on, on personal strikes, um, you know, like from, you know, not eating. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I don't know how to, how to address this correctly. <laughs> um, I mean, I think about it from the perspective of what, you know, like, see, it's interesting because it's like, this is one of those times that I'm like, oh, I'm an administrator, but I also advocate for graduate students. Yeah. So I want to know both sides. Um, you know, it's very possible that the the rationale for why their contracts is terminated again i don't know enough about the case and it's been a while um was that they had a responsibility to teach and they weren't doing it because they were striking i'm not saying that's okay i'm just saying like were they meeting their um you know responsibilities uh, if someone has more information about this or maybe we could look this up and then re regroup on the topic um, but it, it's definitely, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I'm not comparing myself to graduate students, but as an administrator, I am an at-will employee. So I could be let go at any time for no reason. Um, I actually think, and I, I know here, you know, at Rensselaer, Well, see, this is where it gets complicated. So when graduate students leave, let's just say they intended to come in with a PhD and are leaving with a master's. Mm -hmm. um, and I hate the expression master out for several reasons <laughs> because there's nothing wrong with a master's degree because a master's degree still carries weight. You are not necessarily never going to get a PhD and you're not a failure. There's many reasons why graduate students leave with a master's. When we classify it as mastering out, we make it seem like it's this disease. <laughs> like you're no longer part of us. When really they're just as much alums of a university as PhDs. And so when I see or hear about graduate students leaving with a master's, I always want to know, was this their decision? And so this kind of relates to like, can you just be kicked out or let go? Um, sometimes 
I'm able, because I know the student or the student brought something to my attention or maybe worked with someone else, you know, maybe even with the Office of Graduate Education, there can be intervention, especially if it's a graduate student that um, like just wasn't given the same opportunity as other graduate students. And so, again, at what point do, uh, does the, the university or department or school help those students find a new advisor or figure out why the, you know, the student is leaving? And this also goes back to what we first talked about with like mentoring agreements and expectations and you know, there's something really valuable about, you know, yearly or annual evaluations. Um, you know, I, I know recently graduate students were talking, I, I, I think it might have been a couple of years ago, about the, the, the paperwork that they're required to fill out here at, at RPI at the end of the year. And they're like, oh, we just like do that real quick or the faculty member, our advisor fills it out and then we sign it. Well, that actually is an important document because it's reviewed by you know, our graduate school. And if there's concerns, then the, the dean is going to reach out to the department or reach out to the student. If you don't agree with what your faculty member wrote on this annual review, you don't have to sign it. And that's something I think a lot of graduate students don't know about. Again, every institution has its own thing, but there should be a yearly review. And knowing that it is going through a process, um, you know, I know this has happened with graduate students who feel like they're just being kept around. Like one more experiment, one more experiment. And we'll pull up their dice, what's called the DICER, Doctoral Yearly Student Review, their annual review. And it says, wait a minute, it looks like you should have defended two semesters ago. And then there's intervention. How do we get this student out of here? Um, in a good way, not in a like, we're kicking you out, but like, let's get this person on the road. Um, but I think, you know, these reviews, conversations. Um, I guess one of the things, and this makes me think of, and I'm, I'll go into this topic of advocating for yourself, is the documentation that I encourage graduate students to do every time they meet with their advisor, every time they meet with anyone within the department, whether it's their graduate program director or their graduate program assistant. Um, you write that stuff down, keep all of your emails, follow up in, uh, after you meet with an advisor to talk to them about, you know, is this, is this how, what I heard correctly? Um, you know, I know every state is different, but there's no reason why graduate students can't ask if they can record the meeting. It's for their, your personal growth. It's, it's for you to remember what was, what was captured. I think 
So another thing I want to bring up here is, I don't know if you guys felt this way, like when I was in grad school, um, what's really funny is like now that I'm an actual employee of like a large company, I like am very insistent about my employee rights. Like for example, if I need a mental health day, I'm going to take a mental health day. Like I really don't care because it's my right. But the funny thing is in grad school, I feel like all of that was so poorly uh, communicated to me that I kind of just like felt like a dog, like rolling over on its back and just being like, I'll just do whatever I need to do. Like, for example, the the DYSR, the doctoral yearly student review, um, I didn't know that we could just not sign it. I never ran into an issue where I would feel that way personally, but... I can imagine other people would, and I can totally see myself if I were in that situation in grad school being like, oh, I guess I have to sign if I look bad to the dean, oh well. Um, but for it's so funny, because it's like as soon as I got out of grad school, I was like, I would never do that. But something about the culture in grad school was so like, you have to just please these people and get out of here, um, which is not how it should be, I think. And I guess that, leads up to another question I have for you is about how we're talking about at certain institutions. Well, I guess most institutions, it's the institution that's your employer, legally speaking. So what gives advisors the right to quote unquote fire you or kick you out of their lab for things like missing a deadline or worst case scenario, they just don't like you. Like, if you're not an employee, you can't be at will. Um, employee of the advisor, you can't be an at will employee. So I guess, where do you think the disconnect is where faculty, and I'm not, again, I want to like disclaim this by saying not all faculty in this situation, but um, like very toxic faculty or toxic advisor, what gives them the right to just basically cancel you and be like, oh, you're done. Like I've had enough, get out of my lab. Some of it is they may never have been challenged before. There's a real power dynamic between a faculty member and a graduate student. And so, again, it comes down to how is that department socializing your rights as a graduate student? And those are, those are cases that should definitely be brought up the chain or addressed with someone. Um, maybe there's a, a grad student government or council. Knowing that a faculty member could kick you out because they just don't like you is discriminatory. You know, so, so finding, you know, where do you report you know, bias incidents? Is there a dean of students office? Is it through HR? Um, I, I think, again, I think sometimes fa like faculty members are in their labs themselves. They are run like tiny businesses or some of them are not so tiny. Um, and and you're, you're right. I think there needs to be checks and balances and if, if the institution or university doesn't know about these cases, they can't do anything about it. And that's something that is tricky, especially for graduate students that feel so vulnerable and are, are afraid of retaliation. And so I don't know how to, uh, you know, 
I think when these toxic relationships, advising relationships are happening, and if, and I know they are, unfortunately, find someone to talk to, find someone to strategize how to best, you know, leave that situation at your will or get the support you need because, and in, more times than not, friends know about the situation that, you know, another, their peer is in. Um, and so I would encourage, you know, peers themselves to reach out for help or support. Um, because again, I, there's too much on the line for a graduate student to feel as if this one person has their future in their hands. And that's not okay. Uh, thank you so much, Colleen, for your time. Um, do you have any last thoughts or messages you want to get out to, to all the graduate students out there? Yeah, I guess my, my final message is that graduate students need to support one another. And really, I think that, you know, a graduate student success is dependent on graduate students supporting one another and being there. And so I think it's great what Cebus GPA has created and, you know, look forward to seeing what this group is going to bring. So thank you for having me. Thanks again. So that's going to wrap us up for episode seven of the PhD cast. If you're interested in a specific topic or have questions you want us to answer, please email us at cbisgpa at rpi.edu or message us on social media. We have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And with that, we hope all your experimental colonies grow and that all your differences are significant. See ya.